Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, September 23rd, 2022. It was on this day in 1779 that John Paul Jones, the commander of a French ship given to the U.S. Navy, renamed the USS Bonhomme Richard, encountered the British ship Serapis, commanded by Captain Richard Pearson. Shortly after the three-and-a-half-hour battle began, Jones made his statement to Pearson's offer to surrender, declaring, Sir, I have not yet begun to fight. It was on this day in 1952 that vice presidential candidate Richard Milhouse Nixon delivered his checkers speech to defend his place on the ticket as vice presidential candidate with presidential nominee Dwight D. Eisenhower. It was also on this day in 1957 that nine black school children entered the previously all-white Central High Public School in Little Rock, Arkansas, but were eventually sent home at noon due to the fury of an angry mob. And it's interesting that today's the anniversary of that event because it was just yesterday, September 22nd. In 1862, on September 22nd, Abraham Lincoln issued his Emancipation Proclamation, which was a milestone in the ending of slavery and the improving of race relations in this country, and then just... Not quite a little, about 90 years later, a little over 90 years later, this occurrence in Little Rock took place, further building upon the foundations upon which Abraham Lincoln uh, declared emancipation of the slaves. And I thought I'd talk a little bit about that bit of history, being that this podcast is called Faith, Hope, and History, because it's one thing we often forget when we hear a lot of the modern pundits these days and I dare say anti-American sentiments constantly reminding the people of this country that this nation was, as they put it, founded on slavery and that this nation once had slavery. But what they always forget to mention is that we fought a four-year civil war in which hundreds and thousands of Americans were killed and even more wounded to put an end to slavery in this country. And it's been over 150 years since slavery came to an end. And that is over two-thirds, two-thirds of our history since the Constitution in which this country has been without slavery. We were not founded on slavery. We were founded with slavery. And it's an important thing to remember. Unfortunately, many of our children are being taught that in the schools, and no one seems to be giving them the tools to rebut that sentiment, even a sentiment they may be getting from their teachers, from their peers, from their family, from their friends, people who don't know any better than the children, but they certainly have their sentiments, which they like to impose, that somehow this nation is flawed because it was founded on slavery. When it was not founded on slavery, it was founded with slavery. But when you go all the way back to the founding documents of our nation, you see that slavery, while existing in this country, 
was not the foundation on which this country was built. This country was built on liberty, and from the very foundation of this country, from the moment this country was founded, and even before, the momentum of our nation was emancipation. Emancipation would not have been the momentum of this country if it were founded on slavery. Founded with slavery? Yes, because the momentum eventually led to the ultimate emancipation of slavery. And if you know your history, which many people do, unfortunately, many people don't. But if you know your history, then you can be confident in that background of this country. And the reason I bring this up is because just the other day, it's been hitting the news and, of course, uh, many of the uh, social media in the last couple of days. On CNN, Don Lemon had a guest, one of the... Uh, royal commentators, royalty commentators from England, had them as a guest, obviously, in the aftermath of the death of Queen Elizabeth II. And in interviewing this person, Don Lamone asked them about reparations for colonialism, and especially for slavery that was perpetuated by colonialism, and in no small part by English colonialism. And this royal commentator, whose name escapes me at this point, pretty much had Don Lamone for lunch. You should have seen the look on his face if you haven't seen the video. I actually posted the video on my Facebook page and shared it with a few friends. Don Lamone looked like a deer in the headlights as this person was responding to him. And they responded basically by agreeing with him that, yes, we should have the discussion on reparations, but if we are going to have this discussion, then we need to look at a couple of things, one of which is what is the beginning of the supply chain in terms of the slave trade? And the beginning of the supply trade was not the British colonialists because they didn't venture into Africa to capture slaves. They didn't have the constitution to withstand the diseases that they would have encountered in the interior of Africa. But rather, it was the African nations and African tribes capturing other Africans, bringing them to the coast where they were sold to European slave traders. And so she said, if you're going to talk about reparations, you need to go to the beginning of the supply chain to the African nations that captured the slaves to begin with. In addition, she said, England was the first nation to formally abolish slavery and the slave trade. Western civilization moved away from slavery, but England was the first nation to formally ban slavery and the slave trade. And she pointed out that many English sailors on the high seas gave their lives fighting against slave trading ships to enforce that ban on slavery. So she said, if we're going to talk reparations, we need to first go to the beginning of the, of the supply chain of slaves, which are the African nations and tribes in the interior of Africa, and then talk about those English sailors who gave their lives enforcing the ban issued by the first Western nation to ban slavery, and therefore the first nation in the world to ban slavery and the slave trade, which was Great Britain. Don Lamone looked like a deer in the headlights when she said that, and all he had to say afterwards was, well, this is a very important topic we need to discuss. So she basically began by agreeing with him and then lowered the boom. And folks, this is what can happen when you know your history and are talking to someone who doesn't know their history. And if you know your history, especially of the United States, and if you are a patriotic American, proud to be an American, even though America, like every other country, every other civilization in history, is not perfect, 
You can come to terms with the imperfections, but also how this country has overcome its imperfections and continues to work to overcome its imperfections. And this nation began to overcome the imperfection of slavery from the very, very beginning because this nation was founded on liberty and freedom and therefore from its very inception worked toward the eventual emancipation of slavery. Why didn't they emancipate slaves at the beginning? Because we were not a single nation. We were 13 colonies trying to put together a single nation, first in revolution and then in organizing the country, first with the Articles of Confederation, which didn't work out as well, and then ultimately with the Constitution. But if slavery was brought up and dealt with outright, the slave states would have left, and we would not have had a united country. And so primary priority was getting this country united and going. But in doing so, it was established with slavery, but not without the momentum, not without the momentum of emancipation. Where do we find that in our founding documents? Well, first of all, there's the Declaration of Independence during the Revolutionary War in which the Declaration says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. It didn't say all white men, and I know a lot of people like to say, well, what they meant was white men, but there were already at the time, yes, a majority English, Caucasian, Euro-centered society, but at that time there were already states that didn't have slavery, states that had freed slaves as part of the population. Crispus Attucks is often boasted as being the first casualty of the American Revolution, having been someone who was killed in the Boston Massacre a few years before the revolution began, and one of the catalysts of the revolution, Crispus Attucks, was a black man who was killed by the British during the Boston Massacre. And so there were people of other races in the colonies at the time. And... The Declaration of Independence, while many people today would like to say all white men are created equal, okay, just ask them simply, show me where it says that. And they might say, oh, well, that's what they meant. Okay, you can only speculate on that. But where in the Declaration does it say only white men or any particular race only? It says in no uncertain terms, all men are created equal. And there's the foundation that led to such slave owners as George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, when you look at the letters that they wrote later on in their life, after the nation was established, they began to have their misgivings about slavery. That's why they called it the peculiar institution in a nation in which the basic principle was liberty and freedom. It moved many of the, of the states after the Constitution was developed, after the Declaration of Independence, after the Revolutionary War, to abolish slavery in those individual states. Obviously, not all of them did. The southern states did not. But there were northern states that had slavery and abolished it, basically because of the principle of liberty on which this nation was founded. And each state had the priority and the prerogative to do that themselves until the 13th Amendment, after the Civil War, was passed, banning slavery nationwide regardless of the state. But the foundations of liberty and ultimately of emancipation of slaves were seeded and planted in that first founding document, the Declaration of Independence, that said, all men are created equal. But then we come to the Constitution, and many people say, well, slavery is embedded in the Constitution. Well, again, 
right there. If someone says that to you, ask them to show you a copy of the Constitution and where exactly in the Constitution it says slavery, first of all, and then where it says slavery is embedded in our nation's social fabric. It's nowhere in the Constitution. It's hinted at, but the word slave is nowhere in the Constitution. And if you think that was done accidentally, think again. Nothing in the Constitution was done flippantly. Every word, every phrase was carefully crafted. And so the fact that slavery as a word is not mentioned once in the Constitution until the 13th Amendment in the mid-1800s, 1865, don't think that that was done accidentally. But yes, it's hinted at in three places because it had to be addressed between the different colonies and it was addressed in a way which nowadays we refer to as compromise. Something which seems to be a foreign concept in politics today. No one wants to compromise. No one wants to discuss. It's my way or they call you names. They call you a bigot. They call you a a racist, homophobe. They call you an extremist, semi-fascist. They just call you names. We don't know how to debate. We don't know how to discuss. And we don't know how to compromise. But back then, they did. And compromise, compromise means some of the things you get, some of the things the opponent gets, some of the things you want you don't get, some of the things you don't want your opponent gets. You give a little, you lose a little. And that's what we call compromise. And so there are three places in which slavery is hinted at. And we'll take, for the next few minutes, time to examine these three places in the Constitution, and you be the judge. I'll basically tell you my conclusion at the end, but you be the judge as to which side of the slave issue has the emphasis among these compromises in the Constitution. First of all, we have Article 4, Section 2, Clause 3 of the United States Constitution. This deals with the fugitive slave issue, slaves who run from a slave state into a free state. And it states, no person held to service or labor in one state, under the laws thereof, escaping to another, shall in consequence of any law or regulation therein, be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. Basically saying, if you're an indentured servant, or a slave in one state, and you escape to a free state in which the laws and regulations in that state have banned slavery, they will not be discharged from their term of service of labor in the state from which they came, but they must be delivered up to that state on the claim of the people to whom is owed that service or labor. That's the fugitive slave clause. Slavery or slave is not in that clause, but it basically means that, or indentured servitude if you want to apply it to that as as well. So here they're basically saying an escaped slave is not free if he escapes to a free state and the owners of the original state come up and demand that that slave or indentured servant be returned. They shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. Let me read it in total. Quote, no person held to service or labor in one state under the laws thereof, escaping to another, shall in consequence of any law or regulation therein, that other state, 
be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. So there it would appear slavery is embedded in the Constitution. Again, slavery is not mentioned in this, but it's a pretty safe bet that this is what it's being referred to. That is a compromise, obviously in favor of the slave states, in which they achieved something, and the free states who wanted to abolish slavery at the time of our nation's founding did not get something they wanted, which was abolition. So one could say, score one for the slave states. But in another place, earlier in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 states, quote, the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808. 1808. Migration or importation of such persons. Now, first of all, later on we'll address how people said that the Constitution declares black people or African people or non-white people three-fifths of a person, less than a full person. No, no, no. They're calling them persons, and they're not classifying it. They're calling it persons in this statement here. But it's basically the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing, the importation or migration of such persons existing in these states shall think proper to admit, shall not be prohibited. In other words, the slave trade will not be prohibited by Congress prior to the year 1808. Basically, they're kicking the issue down to the next generation. However, the Constitution is basically saying there is a momentum to address this issue as this Constitution is being established. They're not just picking this out of the blue. There are obviously people among the founding fathers of our Constitution who wanted to address this. And this is not a maintaining of slavery. It's addressing the momentum to abolish the slave trade. But not wanting the southern slaves to depart before a constitution can be written and a nation in stability can be established, they kick this to the next generation. And by 1808, the nation will have existed for at least one generation and will have established itself and put down its roots as a nation so that such an issue can be addressed. But the fact that this is in there is not enshrining the slaves trade or the slave states or slavery in general. It's an indication that when the founding fathers were gathering to discuss the issue of the Constitution, slavery was an issue and the Constitution just ensured that this will be addressed once we hit the year 1808. And in 1808, actually let me back up, a bill abolishing the slave trade was passed by Congress in 1807. And if you know anything about the laws and how they're passed in this country, laws take effect on January 1st, the following year. So the Constitution says that the slave trade will not be prohibited until 1808. And this bill was passed in 1807, which means by the time that 1808 came along, January 1st, 1808, Congress had a bill on the books, ready to take effect when the Constitution allowed the Congress to pass such a law. 
That's not a nation founded on slavery. That is a nation with a momentum toward abolition. Congress wasted no time in banning the slave trade. January 1st, 1808, bang. Right away, the slave trade was abolished by Congress. That's not a nation founded on slavery. That's a nation founded with slavery that was founded on liberty. And the momentum was already there. So again, score one on the fugitive slave law or the fugitive laborer law for the South and the pro-slave factions. But here's score one for the abolitionists. But then we come to a part of the Constitution that people even nowadays, I mean, I see the man on the street interviews in which a person says, well, you know, the Constitution declared black people three-fifths of a person. Again, I defy anyone to find that in the Constitution that says, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, the Constitution formally declares that constitutionally non-white people or slaves or African people are three-fifths of a person. But the interesting thing to remember about the Constitution is declaring someone to be three-fifths of a person or worth three-fifths of a person is not a legal statement. And the Constitution is a legal document. It's the law of the land. It is a legal document. Declaring anyone to be less of a person is not a legal statement. It's a philosophical statement. And the Constitution is not a philosophical document. It's a legal document. So there were legal reasons to make the declaration that many people mistake to be a declaration that someone is only worth three-fifths of a person. But the Constitution is not a philosophical document. It is a legal document. So let's give a little bit of background with regard to what's called the Three-Fifths Compromise, and then we can decide whether this was a score one more for the slave states or score one more for liberty. When you look at the Constitution, especially in Article I, which is the longest article because it deals with the legislature, the legislative branch of government, how is our legislature and the Congress divided? It's divided between a Senate and a House of Representatives. In the Senate, each state has equal representation. No matter what the population is, no matter how big the territory is, each state, whether it be Rhode Island or Alaska in terms of territory, or Wyoming or California in terms of population, each state has two senators, equal across the board. House of Representatives, however, representation is determined by population. For the House of Representatives, the higher the population, the greater the representation. So, given that, which states do you think would have wanted to count their slaves in full? Because the higher population count would mean more representation and more power in the House of Representatives. You think the slave states would have wanted to declare their slaves to be three-fifths of a person to be counted in terms of the population? No. It's the slave states that wanted to count slaves in full because that would ensure they have more representation and a more a greater representation in Congress and more political power and more political clout. The slave states wanted to count the slaves as part of the general population. But the free states and abolitionists among the founding fathers said no. 
In fact, they more than likely said you shouldn't count slaves at all because they don't have their liberty and they don't have the vote. So again, what sense does it say that the Constitution was pro-slavery by declaring, as they say, non-white people or slaves, three-fifths of a person. That does not help in terms of increasing the representation in Congress for slave states. If anything, the slave states wanted to count the slaves in full. The free states did not, unless their liberty was given to the slaves. And this, of course, led to compromise. And what was the compromise? We call it the three-fifths compromise. And here is what the Constitution states. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. Now let me break it down and get out all the excess uh, words and verbiage in this particular, particular part of the Constitution. And the excess words is, are including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed. So I'm going to take that phrase out to kind of concise it a little bit. Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the United States Constitution declares, Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons three-fifths of all other persons. And there's where you see three-fifths. Let me break it down even more. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, the population of those states. And the population shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons three-fifths of all other persons. Again, nowhere in this phrase does it say slave. Nowhere in this phrase does it say white people. Nowhere in this phrase does it say non-white people. Nowhere does it say someone is three-fifths of a person. The distinction is free persons and all other persons. The population is determined by adding the number of free persons to three-fifths of all other persons shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons three-fifths of all other persons. And who are those all other persons? Remember, they're still calling them persons. Who are those all other persons as distinct from the free persons? They are the non-free persons. In other words, the slaves, or one can say indentured servants, if that's the case. So this is not declaring slaves or non-white people to be three-fifths of a person is declaring non-free people three-fifths of, of the count for the purpose of population, for the purpose of representation. Representatives are determined by calculating the population of each state. The population is counted by taking the whole number of free persons plus three-fifths of all other persons, all other non-free persons. So what exactly does that mean? Whole number of free persons plus three-fifths of all other persons. 
We're still calling them persons. But when it comes to the all other persons, those are the ones who are counted as three-fifths within the population. Not three-fifths of a person, but three-fifths of the population count of that group. Well, if I want to count those other persons in full, what do I have to do? I have to move them from the all other persons category to the free persons category. Then I can count the whole number of those persons in full. In other words, folks, this is not a pro-slavery compromise, this three-fifths compromise. This is an abolitionist compromise. Slavery, and particularly the slave state, will not be addressed until the year 1808. Congress will not pass a law banning the slave trade, and perhaps in general, slavery in general, until 1808. But this clause gives the slave states an incentive to abolish slavery on their own before 1808. If they want to count their slaves in full for the purpose of enhancing and increasing their representation in the House of Representatives, then they need to move those slaves from the all other persons category to the free persons category. And if they're in the free persons category, guess what? They're not slaves anymore. This is an abolitionist compromise, not a racist compromise. So score one for the abolitionists. And of those three parts of the Constitution in which slavery is hinted at, only one, you can say, went the way of the slave states. And that's the Fugitive Slave Clause in the Constitution. The other two, dealing with the slave trade and the Three-Fifths Compromise, were abolitionist. Because in the case of the Slave Trade Clause, the momentum was already there to abolish the slave trade, and perhaps slavery in particular, but that was not to be addressed until 1808. The Three-Fifths Compromise basically says, if they're not free, you can only count them as three-fifths of a, their population for the purposes of representation in Congress. That diminished the political clout of the southern slave states in the House of Representatives and gave them an incentive to increase that clout by freeing their slaves and counting them in full. That's just within our Constitution. To count the all other persons as full persons, liberty had to be granted them. And it gave the southern slave powers an incentive to abolish slavery on their own before Congress had the power to do so in 1808. And we remember that on this day, the anniversary of the high school in Little Rock, Arkansas, that began its integration in the early years of the Civil Rights Movement, and just a day after the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. The momentum of this country from its founding was liberty, not slavery. 
This nation was founded on freedom and liberty. It was not founded on slavery. It was founded with slavery. And while slavery itself was not addressed by name in the Constitution until the 13th Amendment, which banned slavery outright, nonetheless, the Constitution in its original form, founded on liberty, showed the momentum this country already had at its establishment toward emancipation and freedom. Look at the documents. This is what can happen when you know your history. We'll be able to answer those who maintain that this nation was founded on slavery and declared non-white people three-fifths of a person. Look it up in the Constitution. Look at what it says. Don't read into the words because every word there means something and was deliberately placed. And just keep reminding yourself that the Constitution is not a philosophical document. It is a legal document. Declaration of Independence was more philosophical, was our founding principles. The Constitution was built upon those founding principles, which is all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among those rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we look at what we're facing today as a nation, which the Dobbs versus Jackson Supreme Court decision reminded us in overturning Roe v. Wade. Our nation was founded on the right to liberty and eventually slavery, with a momentum from its founding, was abolished and has been gone for over 150 years, two-thirds of our nation's history since the Constitution Let's also remind ourselves that this nation was also founded upon the right to life. And one day, we know, despite the feelings of those who would be contrary, we will see an abolition of abortion in this country because we will be more faithful to our founding when we assert the right to life in all stages of life from conception until natural death. It happened with slavery. It will happen with abortion. And so let's learn our history. Let's learn our Constitution. We have a lot to celebrate and be grateful for as a nation. This may not be a time of our nation's year in which we remember these things. We have Juneteenth, which celebrates the final ending of slavery and the last bastion of it. I believe it was in Texas after the Civil War. But how often do we remember the Emancipation Proclamation and its anniversary on the 22nd of September every year when Lincoln declared emancipation in those states that were under rebellion, which eventually led to the formal declaration of an end and the abolition of slavery in our Constitution in the 13th Amendment. So let's not be intimidated by the ignorance of others, and let's not be caught up by being ignorant ourselves. We saw what happened to Don Lemon on CNN when someone who knew their history basically showed him up with their knowledge of the history of Great Britain, colonialism, and the abolition of slavery by the British. Let's show ourselves to be knowledgeable of our own history 
and remind those who would say that this country was founded on slavery that no. We'll give it to them that this country was founded with slavery. And maybe it was ingrained in the colonies before this nation was founded. But once this nation was founded, the death knell for slavery had already been sounded. Because this nation was founded on liberty, and as we see in our founding documents, the momentum at our nation's founding was the abolition of slavery and the further enhancement of what it means to have liberty for all and true freedom in this country. And then, since we have long since dealt with the issue of liberty that was ensured and enshrined in the principles of our founding and our Declaration of Independence, let's now move on to addressing the issue of life and one day see the emancipation of the unborn who are not less than human and ultimately see the abolition of abortion. And who knows, maybe 150 years from now, we may have people who are desecrating statues of politicians who are in favor of abortion because they were in favor of abortion. Hopefully not. We have to remember our history and the figures of our history, their whole life, not just one aspect of it. But maybe we will one day be a nation that can't even fathom that abortion was ever a part of our society because we know it can happen. Because we are now a nation, despite what others will say, who can't fathom that slavery was ever a part of our society because we've moved on from it, being faithful to our founding to abolish slavery. And perhaps one day, under the principle of the right to life, enshrined in our Declaration of Independence, we will legally pass laws and protections that are faithful to the founding principles of the right to life in protecting the unborn. So those are my thoughts for today in light of the anniversary we remember yesterday in the Emancipation Proclamation and the anniversary today of the furtherance of that in the civil rights movement with those high school students in Little Rock, Arkansas. But thank you for listening, and with any luck, I will talk to you again soon.